You're listening to the Tumbling Saber Podcast, a proud member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Check us out on the web at StarWarsCommonwealth.com and take your first steps into a larger world. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's time for episode 176 of the Tumbling Saber podcast. My name's Kyle. And I'm Michelle. And this is our second kick at the can. Tech issues tonight, everybody. Oh my gosh, so many tech issues. <laughs> this is a flashback to 2016 when I just could not get a podcast up and running properly. But uh, hopefully we're, we're, we're past that now. I don't know what's going on tonight. But uh, how you doing, Michelle? I'm good. I'm good. I just have... Um... I have a muted uh, The Phantom Menace on in the background, so just trying to watch that and stay calm about these tech issues. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a very happy things, birthday so. to The Phantom Menace, who is now, which is now 20 years old. That is ridiculous to me. 20. It's no longer a teenager. Two decades old. It is house. now entering this. It's now kind of like turn the corner. It's, a, it's officially vintage now. It's oh, it's called it's a new adult. It's a college age child. It's not it, a child anymore, guys. Our baby's done adult. grown up. Yeah, it's but we uh, we spent cool. our birthday or the Phantom Menace's birthday watching parts of Spaceballs with a group of five and eight year olds, which didn't work out. That fizzled. It's not a movie for kids, and these kids were smart enough to know that, and they they disappeared. They dispersed on their own volition. My son came outside to where we were having some drinks, and uh, he declares to everybody. I'm not watching Spaceballs because it's making fun of Star Wars. And he was done. Out. I, I'm sad for you guys, the listeners, because this is like you missed the best storytelling session of Kyle telling that story on the last <laughs> recording. because It was the bomb. And I was I muted myself. I was cackling with laughter. Yeah, this, and it was this is the condensed amazing. version. Oh, my God. It was so funny. But I've never been so proud of my little guy who's just he I was mean, like. Don't want to have anything to do with Spaceballs. You're making fun of Star Wars. Go F yourself. He was done. I'm proud. I'm, I'm proud of him, too. I mean, satire, I mean, as a child, you're just like, no, it's bullying. You can't do that. It's funny. He hasn't even been to school yet to learn, like, bully, like bullying is everywhere now. That's like, amazing. And he's already calling. He's already seeing bullying in places. But, you know, I grew up on Spaceballs as much as Star Wars. And it's 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 hilarious to me. But uh, maybe may, maybe it. they'll grow into it some some year. But my daughter loved it. The part, oh my god, awesome! The part where uh, President Scroob has his uh, his ass on backwards or his head on backwards. <laughs> she thought that was the funniest. Really she was is, into yeah. it, but uh, none of the other kids really were. They they went went about their business, which was which is fine because I couldn't understand why my wife set up a spaceballs viewing party for children. <laughs> I digress. That is that is neither here nor there. It'd be fun when, whenever, when all the kids become teenagers and you can try again, and then maybe then it'll be fun because it'll be like you get to introduce space balls to them for the first time at a time when they can actually like understand and appreciate the humor, and it'll be this whole other you know first time experience with your kids that's similar to Star Wars but also not yeah, in a for way. Sure. But you can do it when they're teens, which is fun because it's hard to connect with teens sometimes because they can be pretty antsy um i know well, they, I was. they're kind of like uh, nothing's cool you're not yeah. cool 
nothing is cool. Only I'm cool. Only my friends are cool. Only my phone is cool. <laughs> yeah, that's why Spaceballs is fun because it's poking fun at everything. And like at that age, that's what you kind of do. You're like, well, whatever. But maybe, maybe at that age, they'll be like, this isn't cool enough for me either, which would be really sad. Anyway, we've got a birthday party to attend, Michelle. So yeah, let, let's let's take a look back at the Phantom Menace and, and you know let's let's geek out a little bit over it and and see where we're at twenty years later with this. I, like I can't even believe that we're even saying these words twenty one twenty years later. Like I was I was twenty one when the movie came out, and now the movie is officially twenty years old. It's craziness. Like the time has just absolutely flown by, and it's weird because like not only was this the dawn of a new era of Star Wars. But it, like for me anyway, it was it was a chance to get on the scoreboard in terms of not ever having seen a Star Wars movie on the big screen. I mean, I saw the special editions, of course, but like a new Star Wars movie, like the people older than me always had that sort of thing over me where I saw Star Wars on the big screen. I'm like, damn you. Well, now this was it. This was now people younger than OT movies. Now we get a chance to see a Star Wars movie on the big screen. So, like, what were you doing? What were you up to in 1999? I was 13 when I was in 1999. Uh, I was a freshman in high school. No, I was a I was in eighth grade. Yeah, sorry, I couldn't remember if it was eighth grade or freshman year. Um, so yeah, eighth grade. I was choosing. I was deciding to switch schools. But back then, um, my parents and I we used to do a Friday night movie night, and we would all meet. Uh, every Friday in Shibuya, which is where if you've seen lots of movies based in Japan, you will see like there's a huge four-way crossing where all these people are just crossing in, in the street. Um, and uh, yeah, so like there's a big movie theater there and we would meet there and have dinner and we go watch a movie. So I watched it in Japan with my parents. Um, yeah. In 1999. In the theater. And it was the first uh, Star Wars theater experience for me um, because I was not alive or I was just born when the first movies came out. I think. Wait, A New Hope came out in 85. Uh, no, A New Hope was 77. Yeah. So I wasn't born then. And then I was born around when Empire came out, which was like 86. Well, the, wait, no. Jedi, Jedi came out in 80. You were like three years old. Yeah. <laughs> when, after like the the, the the OT was out of the theaters for three years by the time you were born. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, I was, yeah. So I definitely, would... this was your your first. <laughs> this was my first. Yeah, it was really awesome. By that time, like I loved Star Wars, so it was really awesome for me. And um, you know, it was cool because for me, uh, I was really into fashion, and I um was into. All of and all, the only exposure I had, really, to women in Star Wars was Leia. Um, so watching um, and watching the Phantom Menace, just you know, with Natalie Portman and all the clothes and the fact that she was a princess and you know a congresswoman, it was just so cool to see that at thirteen. Um, and she was young too, and she was a teenager. And so I identified with her so much as a young teen, like watching that on the screen. And it really informed me and who I was as a person. And just like, I don't know, um, I really loved her 
in general because I loved one of my favorite movies back then was Leon the Professional, which I watched probably mm-hmm. way before I was supposed to. Um, <laughs> but she was one of my favorite actresses at that age. So um, seeing her in that role was just really incredible um, as a young girl. And I was just so mesmerized by it. And I had the biggest crush on Obi-Wan and Ewan McGregor, obviously. Um, my mom was obsessed with Liam Neeson because Schindler's List. And so, like, my mom was, like, really excited about this movie. Um, and I just – I loved, like, all of the color. And, I mean, I was 13. So, to me, like, it was just so vibrant and it was nothing like I had seen before on screen. Like, it was just such a cool – impact um and at the time i thought the cgi was really awesome oh amazing Uh, yeah and like for me like i just i really relished the experience because it was really special to get to share that with my mom and my dad and we're huge movie family um and that's how we connected with each other like my dad was always super busy and was never around so like whenever we did spend time with each other was like when we were watching movies and I was pretty much all the only time was we'd eat, watch a movie and then he'd go to sleep and then wake up before I was awake and all this stuff. So it was pretty much like how we bonded as a family. Um, and we watched star Wars every year on May the 4th. Uh, so it was really cool. I loved it. Um, and it was, it was interesting because I've talked about this before on, uh, when I was on unmistakably star Wars, but, uh, in Japan, Jar Jar Binks is like a huge hit um, because the type of humor that is popular in Japan is a little different than the type of humor out here. If you've ever seen any sort of uh, game show or TV show out here, I think they have the ones where there's like obstacle courses and I don't know what they're called out here, but um, they have like an overlay of like comedy over it. Um, but Anyway, the humor out there is really different and it's a lot more of like, I don't know, like it's like really silly humor is pretty popular out there. So um, I don't know. And I I think like the jokes that they had Jar Jar Binks say in the uh, in the closed caption um, or I guess in the subtitles in Japanese are were really different. So they were actually really funny. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Like I rewatched it recently with the subtitles and I thought Jar Jar was pretty funny in Japanese. Um, But yeah, like he was really popular. So to me, like I didn't really notice the like we hate Jar Jar uh, backlash that the States experienced until I went to college. Like I didn't really know about it that much. Um, Like I'd heard a little but not to the extent that I experienced um, later. So I just really loved it. Like, to me, I just thought it was funny. And um, in Japan, Darth Maul is, like, super popular as uh, a villain um, because his makeup is very much based in uh, Kabuki, where uh, Mm -hmm. the the, uh, bad character, the antagonist, usually has a mask or face painting of a devil or oni which is usually red and black. And so they're really cool. Um, I'll probably post again on Twitter, but uh, if you have seen uh, some of us, we've tweeted like these really amazing Japanese illustrations of uh, the Darth Maul and a lot of these other characters, but in like traditional Japanese samurai gear or the face paint in an actual kabuki. And they're basically uh, paintings of the characters as if they were in these original like traditional 
makeup and garb and it's really cool but seeing natalie portman as a teen and her being amidala and the name amidala comes from buddhism uh the buddhist prayer namiyambadabutsu and so like even that and like just her uh her makeup it was very evocative of a geisha and female royalty of japan and just she's so young so i identified with her just kind of in that way, because she's much more of um, her character has a lot more, I feel like, ties to that Japanese conceptual ideas and um, ideologies than maybe Leia does in the original. Like she it's it's not very much directly. Um, I don't think it's as heavy handed in the OT as it is in the prequels. No, um, definitely not. But yeah, I mean, to me, it was just mostly like seeing myself for the first time. And like as a biracial person and as a girl, too, like you don't really get to see much of like you don't have characters that you identify with a lot, like in literary culture or TV on screen. Like there aren't lots of young white like there's not a lot of young like mixed race girls that I can look up to or see myself in. So I do have to look for myself in other ways, like allegorically of like characters are who people are so like natalie portman was a huge thing for me because up until then i only really had this character claudia kishi in the uh, babysitters club books which she's like this korean american girl and like that was the only kind of like different character that i felt was similar to me that i'd ever seen or like experienced so like it's just really powerful to see that as a young mixed race girl to see that on screen and to see something that you see yourself in because all the movies you watch that are, you know, big blockbuster Hollywood movies, you don't really you, there's characters that you can like appreciate, but not any that you can really identify with, I think, for me. So she was like the first character I really identified with. That's so amazing. Yeah, it was really like the more that I think about it, like it's just it kind of I'm just like really thinking about how deeply I identify. Like, I don't think I even realized how deeply important this character was to me and how how much it changed who I am as a person. Um, That's pretty high praise. No, it is like and, and it's a lot to do with just, you know, and of course, like I'm not saying that, you know, it's perfect. It's just like it means a lot to me as, you know, a person. And it just is it was a project that came at the right time in my life, I think, that I was exposed to at 13 and a big screen. And it's you're very impressionable at that age. And I think um, seeing a woman in, you know, who is trying to be manipulated but has power and is trying to do good, I think, you know, and and is a human. Uh, It's just really wonderful to see. And it really does show you the impact that stories can have on you and feeling seen, um, I think, is really important. And Absolutely. yeah, and I think when you can when when you see that and you feel that it's really powerful and I think as a character she's a great character to look up to. Um so yeah, I'm really grateful that I I had Star Wars and that my parents introduced me to it at a young age and that they took me to see it in theaters because um I think I was able to kind of, you know, connect with it on such a deeper level. So, I mean, yeah, cuz now I'm 32 and almost 33 so it makes sense that i was 13 when this came out because it's 20 years ago but 
yeah, like it's it's kind of crazy to think about that. Um, yeah, I still think that you know um, that that part of of her uh, is it ages well for me. Like I think the I just I loved the beauty and the majesty of it. Like it was so bright and. Um, I think like I, I think the reasons why I loved it is the reason why a lot of people didn't like it. Um, I, I think a, not everyone liked that it was so bright and colorful. I loved that, uh, but I was also thirteen. So well, like... you're you're totally right on that. Like it it really did. Like the OT looks gritty and lived in. That's yeah. one of the things that George was shooting for because well, it was and it was I feasible. That about it too, but, but but the prequels weren't that. Yeah. They're they're much glossier. They're bright they're very clean and digital looking and and that was jarring but it was also part of the the planned aesthetic of of the universe of of that time which was weird because it kind of like i I, at the time i was i was in graphic school at the time so looking at visual early visuals of of the phantom menace and what george was looking at was sort of inspiring to me as a graphic designer because it, yeah. it, you know, I was seeing a lot of these guys working in Photoshop, and I was learning Photoshop, and um, yeah, like at the, well, Phantom Menace, obviously. I mean, Star Wars still basically eats up all the air in my brain. <laughs> it, it takes up all the space in the uh-huh. room for me, and yep. it did then too. Like, boy, oh boy, all my like free time and idle thoughts and and daydreams was all Phantom Menace. What is this movie about? And I posted to Instagram for a change this the, over the weekend. And one of the pictures was of all the magazines that I had bought about the Phantom Menace before and after the movie's release. And like before, like those magazines were filled with spoilers. This is sort of like not even, the internet was still around, but you could, you, if you wanted good stuff, you had to look in a magazine and it was really weird to, to go to a print magazine to get Star Wars news, but that's what it was really still in 1999. And that was a really exciting time just on that aspect. And I remember being like freaked out at fan art descriptions of Jar Jar from spoiler reports and, and talk about Padme. Like, like I couldn't visualize it. And I was like, what is George doing? And then it started like coming for like to fruition and in, in actual teasers and, it it uh it it really got me hyped up like the the hype for this movie unparalleled and like i i'm including the force awakens in that like the, the hype for the for, uh, for the phantom menace was unlike anything i've ever experienced and probably ever will experience ever ever again like this this was the time before pre-sales were even done and so if you wanted a seat like a good seat in the theater you had to stand in line and wait, and which is exactly what I did. Like, like fourteen or sixteen hours, I stood outside on May nineteenth, May eighteenth, actually. I got, I think I got in line around ten a.m. or maybe even wow. like nine a.m. and just waited. Like I just waited until twelve thirty for my for my showing. It was just a crazy crazy day. Like, it wasn't actually a, a really nice day either. It was it was. Fairly warm and sunny, but it was also really windy. Like it just made for a, a strange weather day. And anyway, do you was... just go like by yourself to like wait in line for people, or did you have like friends, or did you just like make friends, or like? I went with a buddy. I... Like I went with one friend, and we were obviously quite close to the front of of the line. Yeah. But there were a good two dozen people in front of us. 
That's crazy. At like nine ten o'clock in the morning, which was we thought we we thought was crazy. We got there as early as we could pretty much make it, and it was yeah, it was it was just nuts, and people were just so excited. And and like to speak of the box office to see how that excitement translated, like it it op- like opening night previews was was like twenty eight million bucks, and it became the fastest movie to to gross a hundred million bucks. And you know, it took yeah. five days for that, which at the time was unheard of. Yeah. Crazy. Like the, the, this movie was sort nice. of billed as like the, the Titanic killer, right? Like this is the movie yeah. that was going to knock off the sappy boat flick with Leo and knock it from number one, all the way down to number two. Like it, it was, funny. <laughs> it was funny to watch that rivalry unfold at the time. Like star Wars fans getting all, it was, it, it was so weird. It was I, really weird. It was like, why are you trying to sink them? Like what? Like Star Wars fans were, so were just so preoccupied with that, so preoccupied yeah. with knocking I off Titanic. I remember that. Oh my god, I totally forgot until you reminded me. But you're right; it was funny. It was such, just such a bizarre phenomenon. Bizarre. Anyway, like domestically, the movie raked in like four hundred and seventy-five million dollars domestically, and like another five fifty internationally. So it did over a billion bucks. That's but great. you know that's that for 1999 that it was definitely huge in Japan like people dressed up like there were lines everywhere it was crazy it was like just pandemonium i remember anyway yeah well yeah it was, Japan. It, was, it was i bet it was i bet it was it was I, huge it was pandemonium all over the place huge in Japan like enormous i remember when they came to visit and they did like the uh the press conference and it was like Hayden and Natalie and everyone and people were just losing their minds because back then like Hayden Christensen was like the thing and I remember I had like the biggest crush on him was that for Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith oh my god I can't remember but I think it was like right wait I think it was Attack I think it was Attack when they came and then before that was like Natalie and uh, Liam Neeson and Ewan and all those people. But yeah, I remember when Hayden Christensen came because I like had the biggest crush on him. I loved that. <laughs> There's this movie called Life as a House, which is so sad and like heartbreaking, but it's the best movie ever with Kevin Kline. And um, yeah, I remember I watched that like right around that time and I was just like obsessed with him, like obsessed. And, um, That's yeah, funny. oh, it was, it's funny. Cause now I think about it. I'm like, what? And then back then, but though, like that, the character in that, in that movie is just, it's a really good movie. If you haven't seen it, it's a good family movie. Um, they like, uh, he's a son who's estranged from his dad and then his dad gets sick and they build a house together. It's, uh, it's amazing. It's so good. Um, but yeah, he's really angsty in that movie. No, and not, not Hayden in, Christensen. Yeah, just like, but like even more angsty. <laughs> oh god! Like, like just so angsty. Like just he's so misunderstood, and um, having a hard time with life. Uh, just you know, just painful. And um, yeah, it's so good. Like it's perfect. Uh, so like I was really into that Hayden. So when he was, uh, when he was Anakin, I was just like, yes, it's so perfect because it's like so angsty. Um, he was, yeah, yeah, he was definitely angsty. That <laughs> they got that part. Yeah. Um, so, but, like on the on the box office thing, 
it was really funny because the the narrative was set up in such a way that people only pretended that the domestic box office was what counted because uh-huh. like Star Wars had a shot. Like it felt like it had a shot to beat Titanic domestically. Domestically, but not internationally. Not even like domestic inter globally. It's not even close. Like Titanic nope. is over two, and Phantom Menace just crept over one. And oh yeah, because globally people were watching Titanic multiple times. Like oh yeah, I watched it, was... it twice in Japan and once in the states with my family, and um, I don't know why I watched it three times because that movie only needs to be watched once and like maybe rip. Like, certain scenes, you can watch it more than once. But, like, that entire movie is really intense to watch three times at the age of 13. Yeah. Um, in one. Sure. It was <laughs> intense. But, yeah, no. Like, people abroad were watching it more than once. Which not a lot of people in foreign countries, like, will go to the movies to watch a movie once or twice. Because when I was in, uh, when it was 1999 for me, like, movies in Japan were, like, 20 bucks. Oh my so God. it was already like expensive to go to the movies in Japan, like to begin with, um, That's crazy. like 10, 20, like 20 bucks was like normal. So, um, like now it, it's a lot, like <laughs> it's a lot of money to go to the movies, but you know, like it, it's like, like close to like 3000, like 30, it's like 3000 to 4,000 yen. So it's like 30 to 40 bucks to go to just to go to the movie, like for the movie ticket, not, not including food or, you know, anything else. Wow. So. Um, That's depressing. So yeah, like back then, like when it's a twenty dollar movie and we're seeing it three times, like that's a lot, like abroad. So no kidding! Um, oh my, I didn't realize yeah. that. Holy smokes! Yeah, abroad movies do end up costing more. I think it's different depending on like the country and whatever. But uh, I know certain Asian countries it can be a lot more expensive. Um, in Japan, it was definitely more expensive. So um, if you think about that in terms of like just how many times people are going to see the movie and also the fact that the movies cost more abroad like that's going to make more money if one person sees it abroad or sees it three times that's like if if i saw it three times and i was paying 60 dollars to see it three times and then someone in the states paid like you know 30 bucks to see it three times like i'm you know paying twice the money so it's going to make twice as much abroad which means if it doesn't make as much abroad as another movie the movie that makes more money abroad is going to do better in the box office no, because yeah for sure the, the tickets cost more abroad so you're going to be making more money inherently to begin with it's just you know already that's, math. Like, that's how math works yeah, exactly but it, i mean phantom has still had a like a pretty impressive performance overall like it, it was yeah. in theaters for 261 days just, That's just hung around. Entire year. Yeah, it just it just hung in there, and I guess it's because people days less than a year. Basically, yeah, it was it was crazy. It was just always there. Like it, for me, it was in dollar cinemas. Like I saw it twenty one times in the theater, and I a fair few of those times was in those cheapy cinemas. That was you know it was like you know I'm, I'm you know I definitely late watched 20, it late nineteen ninety nine. I'm still going out to see Phantom Menace, trying to squeeze in a few more viewings before. Like remember back in that day, you had to really wait. Like the 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 yeah. VHS didn't come out until early out April. Yeah, of two thousand. Yeah. I remember I I we saw it at the Dollar Theater in Hawaii too, um, like multiple times that summer because um and I think that winter too, like Christmas it was still there, um, yeah. So we saw it at the Dollar Theater, probably more than we saw it in the theater theater, but. We saw it 
a fair amount in both before it left the theater and we got it on tape. I, I remember getting that tape and I have it right here next to me. It's like the, the widescreen collector's edition. It came with like a mm-hmm. miniaturized version of the art book and it came with like. A, oh, a, that book was so cool. I still have it, I think. Yeah, for sure. I, I've still got mine. It came with a little um, little film cell. Yeah, that was so cool. I was I was so blown away by that. And I was I, I watched the living daylights out of that VHS the, the first few times oh I got God, it back. Yeah. I think now, like, when I rewind it, it's, like, kind of weird because I've watched it too many times. <laughs> yeah, it's, it gets also, yeah, the wheels in the VHS get a little squeaky now. Yeah. But it was but funny because, like, like really the, the, the reviews to this movie were, like, at best, they were mixed, right? It was, it was... Yeah, they were very mixed. Very, very mixed. Like, a lot of it falling along the lines of, of badly written, wooden acting, but but visually amazing. Like, Yeah. Most of the... I, I think a lot of the reviews fall on that line but I, I i remember like sitting in my car before work and i'd, I'd pull out my newspaper newspaper imagine and yeah. I, I, I would comb through reviews and every time i read like a two and a half or three star review like my, my heart sank and like out of five i was like oh like people are dumping on the movie why are you dumping on the movie what's wrong with you people it was it was so ha- i mean i ultimately i you know it just I guess it just didn't live up to the hype for a lot of people. Like no yeah. movie could, no movie could stand up to 16 years of headcanon and come away yeah, looking can. good. No, that's really hard. Really, really hard. But you know what? I what I really love about this movie is that George stayed true to his vision of what Star Wars is and what he wanted it to be. Yeah. And he didn't. He did. He did not try to cater to like to me. As as someone who grew yeah. up with the OT as a child, he didn't try to if, like grow Star Wars up with me, and I think a lot mm-hmm. of people were angry about that. That's they yeah. had grown up, but Star Wars, air quotes, did not. Yeah, I think that pissed a lot of people off, but it did. But you know what? I like. I think it's better. I always think that um, any project, whether it be a book, a movie, or anything, it. When it stands the test of time, it stands the test of time if you write it for yourself. If you write it, if you write the story you want to tell in the way that you want to tell it, instead of trying to please your audience or what you think your audience might like, your audience is gonna is gonna fall in love with your story because of the characters you created and the way that you thought of them. So if you change the characters and who they are halfway through because you think other people want them to be a certain way. The characters are losing who they are. And the reason why people fell in love with the characters is going to go away because they fell in love with your vision of the character. So why would you pivot that? I mean, it's always good to get, you know, when you have a writer's room to get advice and to think about it. But ultimately you should be writing the story that you think best serves your characters and your story itself as a whole. And I think that's why the, prequels have found so much love over time and the quote hate has dropped off i think um or the initial like fervor of people being unhappy um has dropped off a lot and i think that over time people have got looked back and thought like well actually it does like really stand up and hold up for me there's so much of this these movies prequels that i love actually well, yeah, and, and, and a lot of it is is like of his vision, for sure. And it, a lot of it is people that who are like you, who were 
much younger when these movies came out, but didn't really have yeah. have their online platform yet to to share their yeah. views. And now you do. Mm-hmm. Here's people in their twenties and thirties now who are, I've said this a million times, but who are now like shouting their love for these movies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think like it is important like for something if you want, because the thing is like what people I think don't understand or inherently misunderstand about Star Wars is that. I can appreciate that Star Wars is bigger than me. It's going to be around it, – it started before I was born, and it's going to be around when I die and after I die. And I just need to appreciate that, like, I get to appreciate Star Wars, this version of whatever version that we get, um, while I'm alive. And this is the Star Wars that I'm blessed to have. And, like, you know, the people who were – who existed before me, like, I, my dad is no longer with us. But he loved Star Wars so much, and he didn't get to see all the other Star Wars movies. He hasn't experienced the new series, the new trilogy at all. So, like, to me, when I think about that and I think about generations of Star Wars and Star Wars existing before me and existing with me and existing after me, I think we can't be selfish and um, letting other generations experience the majesty of their first version of their Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's not really for us to sit here and obviously like this is our job. So like we're going to sit here and talk about it, but I don't think it's for us to sit here and hate on. I don't think it's, I think it's for us to sit here and discuss like what are the themes or what is the bigger thing and what is, what could have been better. But I don't think it's really not every generation of Star Wars is for us. And I think we need to be okay with that. And I think we need to like appreciate that other people should get to experience Star Wars the way we got to experience it. And that like we got this incredible thing that existed. And then also this new thing that existed that we get more of. And then, you know, that was for us. And like if we get to love the other stuff that comes after us, that's great too. But we already got our coming-of-age Star Wars, and we should be okay with that. And, like, every generation, I think, deserves it. And For sure. That's part of the marketing now. Was, you know, yeah. Part of Phantom Menace's marketing was every generation has a legend, and they're picking up on that with Episode Nine. Exactly. And it's because Star Wars exists. It's bigger than us. It's more than us. It's more than just us as a person. It's an idea. It's a concept. It's I think it's, like, just a way for of life for people in like things that you can look up to, you know, lessons you can learn. It's a Bible for some people. It's their, you know, Bible. It's their moral compass. It's how they choose to live their life by. And I think, you know, you need to understand that it's not, it's just, it's more than you. And like, it's going to become bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, galaxy's edge is opening soon like literally in two weeks and you know it's just gonna become this huge thing even bigger than it is now yeah and it's because when you get like it's gonna be like disneyland like i mean i'm so excited to know that there is going to be there there is a world there are people that exist in this universe who like this is their normal like there is no time like that for them there's there's no no dark time like us yeah there's no dark time Like, for me, like, I also don't remember a time where I didn't know of Star Wars or I didn't know it existed. And, like, 
I think going forward, like that's going to be that the next level of that is going to be the generation that's already existing here now. And then like when I think if I ever have kids, like what it's going to be like for them, it's just really exciting for me. And I think like, you know, overall, like because and I think the reason why Star Wars was able to become what it is today is because of the prequels because of what George was able to do with these movies, because without the prequels, the trilogy was the original trilogy was the trilogy and it's, it was just that. And these prequels and the success of them and, and everything that they accomplished and were able to create was able to start this new legacy of more movies and more content and more Star Wars stuff because these movies proved that people want more stories in Star Wars and people will show up and yeah. people will be passionate. And, and so there was a lesson then. Here. This like, movie is the Phantom Menace. If we didn't have the Phantom Menace, we would not have Star Wars as we have it today. Probably not. You're, at all. You're abs- yeah. And there, there, there was a, there's a lesson there. Like, and I think in a lot of ways it still hasn't been learned or maybe people are just slow to come to it. And that's, you know, it's, it's like what I said before that Lucas was telling his story while staying to, to true to star Wars as, as a kid's movie, like mm-hmm. he was cultivating that next generation. Yeah. And I, I, I see the Phantom Menace as like, it is a young, it, it, I mean, the thing is the Phantom Menace is a kid's movie to me. I think it's middle grade. Because the main characters, I mean, there's multiple, but if you think about it, um, Padme and Anakin are under, like, they're, like, 13 and younger. They're children. So it's a middle grade movie to me. And then we get to uh, the next two, and it's young adult for me. Like, because the a new hope is a young adult it's probably new adult a little bit more but the characters are teenagers in that movie like luke and leia are teenagers so to me it's a young adult it's like a teen movie and then but the phantom menace is a kid's movie because anakin is a child and so the the fans are going to be young even though the themes are older the main character is young so when you think about that like it's odd and it's disney so you're gonna see that it the naturally it would make sense to appeal to children and to raise the children with these characters, especially because it's CGI. It's going to take time to make these movies. So like me as a 13 year old girl going into this movie, I was the target audience, Mm -hmm. like the target audience for the Phantom Menace. For sure. And it, and I was probably the literal target audience because I'm biracial Japan American, like, watching this movie and so it really did speak to me and that's why you know the star wars has shaped a lot of who i am today because i was exposed to it at that age where it was like literally it was like it catered to me and to me i think that's my generation star wars that and i think this generation too but mostly the prequels because it it was catered towards my age group by the time i i think with these new movies, I think it works for me too in my generation because I think they aged Ray and and Finn and everyone up a little bit. So as characters, when I watched The Force Awakens, I was still in my early to mid twenties, so I was kind of around Ray's age. So to me, I feel like I probably am still in that target audience for the new trilogy. Um, but just for who I was like at the time it was just I think especially because it's so bright and pretty even though like I think the first movie especially The Phantom Menace 
can really be a, a like a children's movie that caters towards children. Um, when Anakin murders all the little baby Jedi Padawans, <laughs> I think it, it moves past that. Yeah, obviously, a but that's bit. not till later. So you know, the, by that time I had been, I was a teen, like a later teen, and I was in my high school years, later high school years. So I had aged up by that point. Um, obviously, not as much as those characters, um, but. But still, I think it's very young. So um, naturally, because it's so bright and there's a lot. And, and that's why I think there was a lot more. And with Jar Jar, it was very um, catered towards, I think, a younger audience. So I think for me, like, I didn't think he was annoying or hate him because I was 13. And I was also used to Japanese humor. So to me, I, I thought he was funny. The Japanese subtitle jokes were pretty funny. Um, so I think, like, you know, it. it I think it does cater towards... Um, children I think children and when you're a child too you're you're a lot more forgiving of um, practical effects and any sort of effects like they seem a lot more majestic <laughs> any sort of visual effect even if it's not like to the full standard as you were now because like when I watch visual effects from the Phantom Menace now I'm, I'm just they're amazing and beautiful but they're not as smooth as they are in this day and age in 2019 um but back then like to me i was just like oh, this looked, is the most magical thing i've ever seen that like, whole movie was eye candy insane. oh my god it was visual like just crack. it was like, it was crack. visual crack. It was crack yeah it was because like all i wanted to do was look at it it was it's like the equivalent of like the what why people are so obsessed with lava lamps like it's just like mes it's like hypnotizing almost um, yeah, there was there was so much to look at in every single frame. Like yeah. it it was nuts, and I it was just so sad. Like the and the tones and the colors are saturated, but just so beautiful. Like the I still think the colors are beautiful. Like I, I it's it's interesting because a lot of bright movies don't always age super well for me, but this movie does. Um, and it also works like from about in the, the theme. Yeah, it does, and I, and because it yeah, it makes so much more sense because it's like this this opulent you know Marie Antoinette type like height of money and everything, and then you know, but you know that that's what you're trying to evoke and convey because it, by the time we're at A New Hope and all those movies, like they've been in they've been in the war and they're kind even of, when you get to Attack of yeah. the Clones, it's all changed. Exactly. It gets much much darker and but, and. and you and know, it makes literally sense, you have tons of night scenes and and yeah it, the, and the movies the change Sam. tone <laughs> but yeah you you do need i think it's important at at any point in time when you're trying to tell a full story from beginning to end you do need to show what it was like before so it was really important to the overall like story to show the time before when it was super rich and like expensive and like crazy fashion and all of this stuff where it's just so bright and oversaturated and just opulent and everything. And because it shows that contrast and it shows like the, how, how much it has changed. Well, over he op George opened up the galaxy in the, the OT is is so small and and intimate by yeah. comparison that when we mm -hmm. saw this grand prequel that just showed us so much this beyond what we're used to, it was like whoa 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 this is too much. But it was all by design. It's all intentional, and it makes so much sense. 
It is. And yeah, it's just, I think it was just very jarring. But jar jarring. Jar jarring. But it's just, you know, but that's, but because he was able to show us how, how, how large it is, which makes sense because it's space. Like space is infinite. So it's just, um, that's and that's what I that's exactly what what we're saying too in terms of like without this movie there wouldn't be any of the stuff we have now because we wouldn't have known how big this universe is and how expansive it is and all of the different planets and the different types of people and the different races and the different cultures that exist in this universe but we were able to kind of get a taste for it and and the universe wanted more because of this movie and everything that happened after it with the prequels that George created with his brain. And it's just it's incredible to think that, like, you know, this movie as a whole, like not just in terms of the story itself, the films themselves, the characters, the universe, but also just like the entirety of star Wars and the culture of it and the fact that it exists this largely in this way. And so ingrained in fabric of our lives today, well, it, ch- it changed the idea of what star Wars can be. Yeah. And not just star Wars, add, but nothing changed it. It added type of movie or science fiction or just like it, ch- it also think, I think it changed like the idea of what movies can do and what movies can be, because I don't think before this, there was really a very successful space opera where you were just bouncing around time with the same characters. Like it just, the fact that he was like, this is a debut movie. It's an original. It's starting on episode four. Like, that was like, are you kidding? And then now you're like, okay, well now we're gonna start in episode one and we're gonna do all three movies. Like, and it's very different in tone and like the characters are the same but different actors and like all this stuff where you're just like, what is happening? Yeah. And like now that's normal. Like people will do that. Like think about the Marvel movies where like you know you have Avengers and they're like Captain Marvel is gonna come out, but by the way, it's coming out right before Avengers, but it's set in the '80s. Like all of these movies that exist in the same universe but are at different timelines because like all the Avengers and Marvel movies came out, but the movies themselves are set in different times and they're coming out like, and, but they all contribute to a a larger story as a whole. And that, I don't think that that type of storytelling would have been greenlit or been okayed or ever existed in the fabric of film storytelling as a whole. If George Lucas hadn't done this successfully, with Star Wars. I don't think we would have had Marvel in the way that we have it now because I don't think the people who are okaying and allowing and greenlighting these projects and being like, okay, here's the money to do that would have been ever okay with like, you know, if someone came to you and you were investing money, like billions of money, and they're like, okay, by the way, we want to introduce Captain Marvel into the new Avengers movie and she's going to be the reason that everyone is still alive and, um, we're going to do that, but, like, we haven't even introduced her yet, but she's, like, her story starts in the 80s, so we're going to do that, but, like, we're going to do that, like, literally right before the finales, and then she's going to be in the new kickoff. Like, nobody would have, I, I don't think that if, if this didn't exist and didn't, it wasn't a success, that anyone would be, in their right mind, would be like, yeah, sure, that sounds like a good idea, like, if they didn't have this precedent of 
the fact that it can happen because I just it doesn't make like I don't think people have like people can be visionaries. But in order to have vision like that, you need to have someone who comes before with that vision who proves that it's possible. And I think yeah, that he was yeah, he was sort of that, that proving ground. Yeah, um, you, you before you went over a bunch of the things that you that you love about the film, specifically about about Padme. Um, Duel of the Fates was amazing. I mean, that, that was, at the time, just the coolest lightsaber battle ever put to screen. It was so, so kinetic and energy-filled. Uh, one of the things I love about this movie, again, shocker, is, is Palpatine. Like, it's just so good to see the, the, the seeds that he was planting so far so in good. advance. So, so good. I think he might be my favorite character across the prequels. Just so, I mean, watching it again today, it just like made me so excited because this was the first time I watched this movie again since I watched the trailer um, for episode nine. And we had the little creepy voice return um, of his. So it was really fun to like rewatch it again and knowing what I know now. Um, I don't know. I just love him. Love him so, so duplicitous but, but, and manipulative, but in the best way. And like just whispering in Padme's ear too. And like, ugh, it's just, yeah, crazy. like he, he got everybody. He really yeah. got everybody. And also like just, I hadn't, I haven't finished the book yet, but reading parts of Queen's shadow and hearing about him too, in that book already. And then watching this a little, it was, it was just really interesting. Um, Very it, interesting. It really, and it's really interesting to see, like, how, you know, all of these other things that we're ingesting colors are are viewing in the future, like, when we revisit these movies and, like, how much deeper our experiences get to be. Um, that was cool. Very cool. I, like, I love yeah. everything about Naboo's design. Like, you talked about the costumes before. <laughs> totally, totally on board with that. The costumes were mind-bending and, and, and Trish... Bigar, I think, is the costume designer. Good. If she didn't win the... I don't think she won the Oscar, but she damn well should have. She really deserved it. Crazy honestly. costuming. Just insanity. Like I, The makeup. The, so the makeup was crazy. Um, like Just the, the, the building, the, the architecture of Theed City, the wildlife. Yeah. Like, the, the things they do to make that planet come, come alive, like, worked so well. Like, it's so good. Like I, I, the N one Starfighter, was, mm. oh, I I fell in love with that ship the minute I saw it. It was just so cool looking, just like just amazing stuff. Like I, actually, you know what was what's funny is, this is sort of a jumping thought, but this movie came out before the whole era of, of like being afraid of spoilers, right? And so like, the soundtrack completely spoiled that Qui Gon would die. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, the novelization was out before the movie came out, which would never happen now. Ever. Oh, really? Yeah. The, the yeah, that would never happen. Never, never, <laughs> never, never. It sounds crazy to say that, but the novel was out weeks before the movie, as was the soundtrack. Like, it was. it's, it's nuts to even consider that now. You'll never yeah. see that again. No, never. It would never happen. And, I, you know, I think the cool – one of the great things about how it expanded the scope of Star Wars is that you got Tatooine 
which felt super familiar. But then you'd also get Coruscant, yep. which did not feel familiar. But it was like this. It was it was the complete opposite of of Tatooine. But now, but now Coruscant is as as Star Wars as Tatooine. It's it's really really cool. Uh, let's pick one aspect of the movie, and like what what's aged well for you? Like maybe something that you didn't love at the time, but now you go, yeah. Given given some perspective and age and wisdom and all that, now this works for me. If there's anything, you can say, no, it all works and it still works. I don't know. I think it it does work. I mean, honestly, I think um, I think more of what I feel has aged well over time is just um, my appreciation for the things that I didn't uh, catch or what went over my head when I watched it when I was little, like because I was young and I was a child. So like now watching it as an adult understanding complexity of adult relationships and how things aren't always black and white and there's a lot of gray and um I don't know just overall like when you're thinking I think when I think back then when I was watching projects or or movies or anything I wasn't really thinking about them in terms of uh, overall, the greatest pic- the greater picture in terms of story and what you know a filmmaker is trying to achieve, or what a writer is trying to achieve, or what uh, the people who created the movie are trying to convey with the film. And I think like now I can see those nuances a little bit more, and I can see a little bit more of the complexity behind you know, um, the nuance of Palpatine whispering in Padme's ear mm-hmm. or, you know, like a lot of those things that I think like at the time as a child, I'm just like, Oh, like I, this is a bad guy, but like, I can see now like the nuances behind it and, and like how he's manipulating her and why he's doing it. And what is his greater purpose? Like, it's just, it's more specific. I think now when I watch it, Um, I'm watching it with a different type of eye and I think I can appreciate a lot more of the small things that are being done in this movie that I didn't even realize were happening when I was younger. Um, And I've noticed a lot more of how smart a lot of these things are um, that they've accomplished in between. Like I've noticed a lot more of the smaller moments as opposed to like like those moments they're talking about like whispering in an ear or something small as opposed to something big and flashy. Mm-hmm. I think I'm able to appreciate the smaller moments a lot more. And I think that's really aged well for me. The things that I overlooked or went over my head. Well yeah, as a kid um, you look for the flashy stuff. Yeah. Because that's stuff. Yeah. And that's what that's what you're looking for. Like when you when you think about Star Wars you're thinking about, you know, lightsaber battles and you're thinking about, you know, the TIE fighters and shooting and whatever and blah, 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 you know. And I think there's a lot there's a and it's a huge action movie. So there's a lot of that. And so you forget sometimes with action movies that, you know, there is a really intricate story with certain types of movies, even though they're action, they don't just have to be action. They can be more than just one thing, you know, a surprise like humans and women and other things you know <laughs> star wars can be more than one thing it can be more than Absolutely. just an action movie and well that's why I, star wars works so well it, it, yeah. it's the kids pick up on the easy escapist part of it 
Yeah, and the fun grown ups, parts. Grown-ups can pick up on some of the, the more subtle layered stuff. Yeah, and some grown-ups won't. Which and is, that's totally okay. Yeah. And that's fine. And it's that's why it's such a great uh It's a great uh, it's a great property. property. It's a great franchise. Yeah, it's a great property because it appeals to so many different types of people at so many different levels. And it appeals to different sensibilities, what interests different people are different. So, like, you know, some people like the the cerebral nature of it, and other people like the action-y nature of it. And it's okay. Like, they're all cool. And some people appreciate both. And some people appreciate neither. And that's cool, too. But I think that over time, I've really appreciated that it's more than just this flashy, pretty thing. There's actually real substance to the movie. And it's really important in the overall um, just idea and legacy of Star Wars itself. And I think that um, that's really aged well for me. And I think that it's actually aged better for me, I think, because, you know, back then... I, and now I can see it in the greater picture of all of the movies and I can see the journey and the character development that was needed for certain characters at this point in time and how they were able to do that. And I can appreciate how full that journey is from the prequels to where we are now. And I can see how important it was to see everything we were talking about before in terms of the opulence and the colors and the brightness and mm-hmm. this like positivity that that was necessary to yeah there was like an innocence to the galaxy before palpatine's plan sort of exploded and took over the galaxy yeah and it gave it gave a little bit more weight to the original movies like i felt like it gave more weight to the new hope for me because i feel like originally when i first watch a new hope it can be kind of like the way that they end with the metal ceremony it can be kind of like it's it can be kind of happy and like light but when you watch it in terms of the placement, when you see the prequels, it's heavy. You can you can appreciate that the tone of that ceremony changes a little bit. Yeah. And that it's not just happy go lucky like yay. It's like oh my gosh, we accomplished this incredible feat because look at how far we've come, and it means more to me. So like I think that like over time, like the fact that it brings more weight to the original movies too, and things that happen. That has aged well for me, too, because it 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 makes it it's not just about that movie aging well, but how it impacts the other movies in the set. And I think that it ages well in terms of them as a whole and also as a movie by itself. Yep. And I think that's really incredible because not many movies can do that. For sure. Like, yeah, I've 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 come to like a lot more the, the whole theme of symbiosis. Like mm-hmm. he really hit yeah. hard on that with the the, the Naboo and the Gungans and yep. the midi chlorians even, which yeah. I, I still prefer not to talk about, but it's there yeah. and it wasn't like this thoughtless thing that, that George yeah. ruined Star Wars with. It's it's there, it serves a purpose, and yeah. we don't have to revisit it. But mm-hmm. like even even like the political stuff, which mm-hmm. is if I'm being honest, it's kinda like watching paint dry in Star Wars. Yeah. But you know, like I think it's it's still really important to have in the movies because it's important. we need to see how the, how the chess pieces line up for Palpatine. Yeah, and I honestly like. I think now maybe it's because I watched Game of Thrones. I I appreciate this like chess piece 
situation a lot more and like just the the strategy behind it and i think it's it's really interesting to see especially when you think about palpatine and who he is and what type of brain he had and like just all of the stuff that we still don't know about him and you know just brilliant you have to be very smart and savvy and uh to be that crazy and manipulative and and successful at it um but it's really interesting i don't know if it's just because i really enjoy characters that have personality disorders um <laughs> that i find super interesting i don't know i i, I find them really compelling i i guess because like it's just fascinating to me um but i i just think he's such an interesting character and like i like my antagonists to be more than just like oh he's a bad guy like it's yeah, just, he's a bad guy for the sake of it. No, the Palpatine yeah, is like, there's so much going he on is with him. Just, he is so interesting. And um I just I, that's what I love about Star Wars too, is that like their their villains are interesting. Like it's not uh it's not it's complex. Like they do have some like very obvious, like simple ones, but they're the bigger, more intricate bad guys are very conflicted, and that's that it's and it's just really interesting to me, like just the way that they think and Sith as a religion and the way those brains think and how they are is just very cool. And Absolutely. to see how it all kind of took over. Um, like just to see how it was before because you're you're seeing all the ways like because the whole time you're exposed to like, oh, this is the way that it is and we're so miserable and it would be so much better if it wasn't this way. And then you get to see how it used to be and how there were problems and it wasn't as perfect as people think it is. And it also shows you how over time, like people's memories change and like how how they can shift how you view something, too. So, like, I think that's really cool as well, because you're seeing like you're you're also seeing that, like, you know, the Sith and and Palpatine and all this stuff like they're there. It's not completely out of nowhere what they're saying. And, you know, the things they're talking about, like there is some merit to what they're saying. It's just how they're saying it in the delivery and like how they're using it. But it's, but the, the Jedi aren't perfect and you're seeing that. And I think it's important to see mm-hmm. uh, that as, to be able to approach this, the, the characters and the show and the theme, uh, the movie and the themes and everything to be able to see that, like, you know, this is what you're getting, but like, you know, the Jedi really weren't perfect. So like, you know, it's not that the Sith are bad and the Jedi are great. They are, but like, it's all about, you know, who are we telling the story from and whose perspective and who, who is the eyes that we're seeing the story through and how is that coloring our view of everything and how will that change? And it's just, it's really cool to see that because you don't really get to experience different points of view like that in one entity in terms of a property. Like you don't normally get to experience different viewpoints and like feel for other characters i think not maybe i'm just speaking in terms of star wars as a whole like in different parts when you can feel for a sith character or someone on that side which is typically associated with the bad guys but you can you can understand why they do certain things or like why they became who they are and um yeah yeah i think that's all it's all well said 
Um, I wanted to work in some thoughts from our powerful friends. So let's let's Rick sent in a message. So let's take a listen to that. Hey, Tom Linksaber crew, it's your boy Rick in Chicago. Let's jump in the time machine and uh, travel the world between words worlds for a minute, and let's go back twenty years and talk about the Phantom Menace. Now, I remember going to see this movie after a long night of watching the original trilogy. A friend of mine won tickets in a radio contest to go see The Phantom Menace uh, the opening day. And I believe the screening was at 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. So I met up with her and her roommate and a few other friends at a movie theater the night before. We watched whatever movies were playing at the time. I think Ed TV and uh, The Truman Show or something. And uh, we went back to their place and we watched uh, the OT, stayed up all night, had some drinks, and then drove out about 45 minutes away to the theater, um, being super excited. I know I was, and she wasn't. She didn't know anything about Star Wars. She only knew the answer because of something I had blurted out one night. I think the answer was C-3PO. And <clears throat> so we sit in the movie, screen goes black, blue lettering comes up, blam, John Williams music, movie starts up. Okay, this is great. Let's get into this. Bunch of highs and lows. And I remember leaving that movie, feeling pretty good, super tired. We went out, we got breakfast afterwards, and my friend, uh, she didn't like it at all. She, again, she's not a big Star Wars fan. Uh, me and another guy, we quite enjoyed it. But I didn't really know how to feel about it because it didn't feel like the OT. Everything was sleek and uh, a lot more colorful and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, just different. But now in retrospect, 20 years later, not in a bad way. It was meant to represent a different time in the galaxy. So I know I went to see it in the theater a couple of more times after that and uh, never really feeling super disappointed by the movie. I just know that it wasn't for me at the time. In 1999, I was 21 years old, so it sounded like I was the target audience. But I don't think I ever felt, felt super duper let down by it. I did have some friends that did not like it at all, and uh, I'm pretty sure I have not watched it since. But another memory that's tied into the movie is the Midnight Toy release at Toys R Us uh, prior to the movie's release. I remember going with a buddy of mine to uh, try to get that first wave of toys. And my goal at the time was to try to get the 12-inch figures. And I got the Qui-Gon and I got Jar Jar, but could not find a Darth Maul. Um, I think I got the full line of the uh, three and three-quarter figures at the time. They're packed away somewhere. I haven't seen those things in years. But I remember a few months later on, I was working at a um, at a Target store, working overnight doing stock. And <clears throat> shortly before the store opened, I remember going to check the toy department and uh, seeing if we had any toys that, that had come in overnight because I didn't work in that particular area. And I noticed that the little base shelf at the bottom of the, um, the toy display was a little off kilter. And when I went to fix it, it wouldn't go back down. And I ended up... Uh, popping it up, trying to see what was what was uh, keeping it from going down all the way, and there was a 12-inch Darth Maul. Now, the package was a little dented and dinged, but I hadn't seen one yet. And I, at the time, I think in conventions and trade shows and stuff, they were going for about $100. This thing had a sticker on it for, I think, $18.99. Snatched it up, grabbed it, paid for it, took it home. It's been in my collection ever since. So 20 years later, here we are celebrating this movie that a lot of people didn't really care for but it's grown on me my son's grown to love it and I love watching his reaction to this movie um, I'm sure there's some other things that uh, are tied to this movie memory wise but it was a pretty special year as far as uh, 
getting back into the Star Wars fandom that way and having Star Wars on the big screen. It was a lot of fun. And again, I've grown to love this movie now in the 20 years since. Oh, and being at the Phantom Menace panel at Celebration, which although some people said it was a little bit of a letdown because of expectations, it was a lot of fun. I had a good time being in there and seeing the clips. You know, they ran the trailer at the beginning of the um, panel. And, uh, you know, I got a little emotional, you know, being 41 and not 21 and remembering where I was at the time. You know, it, it was it was it was a lot of fun being there. And um, yeah, so I hope, you know, in 20 more years, there'll be another retrospective look at it. And um, we're going to have years and years and years of Star Wars to come. So cheers, guys. And may the force be with you. And that's well said, Rick. Thanks, man. I, like, I'm right there with Rick. Like When I first walked out, I wasn't exactly sure how to feel either because it was so different from what I was expecting. Um, but uh, no, by no means did I hate it. But I was like, what What was that? It was, it was a weird feeling. But I went out like the next day. And by, by lunchtime, I was back in the movie theater watching the movie again. And I think I saw it. Oh, boy, I can't even remember how many times I saw it in those first few days but it was it was nuts and I remember like in the first week if I went more than a day without seeing it I started to get like this itch like I I have to go back <laughs> I have to go back <laughs> I love that anyway Rick thanks man um uh, Mr. Kigo also chimed in with with a with a some thoughts of his own which is not part three <laughs> it's not part three <laughs> of, of you know what uh, but instead, he sent in a, uh, an email, which I'll read. It says, Opening night, May 1999. I was 25 years old, and I had been waiting since the age of 10, way back in 1983, for this day to come. Myself and a mate knocked off work and drove an hour and a half to the nearest cinema, got in line, and almost died from the stress of waiting. We were so close. I'm sure time was slowing down. I could feel it. It was toying with me, making me wait longer. And it was killing me. The build-up to this had been a crazy ride. I remember the announcement from Lucas that they were doing episode one. My young mind exploded with so many fantastical thoughts of where they could start and what new worlds and characters we would be introduced to. I remember having thoughts of a young Yoda and of an even younger Obi-Wan. When we were in primary school in the 80s, there were always this rumor of how Vader and Kenobi fought on the side of a volcano and of how Kenobi kicked Vader into lava. I wasn't sure where this information came from, and after a while I used to think it was just rumors that, uh, that some kid had made up. It was amazing stuff to ponder as a child. And as I lined up in, in the cinema lobby that night, I wondered if we would finally get to see this fight that we had imagined for decades. We were about ten back from the front of the line. I remember the cinema guy giving the guy in pole position a free poster. I told my mate when episode two comes out, we would be at the front of that line. And three, three years later, we were. They let us in half an hour before midnight, and we took some prime seats in the center. The atmosphere in the packed room was incendiary. I'm sure a couple of people spontaneously combusted at the time. I may have been one of them. Uh, just before midnight, the manager of the cinema made his way to the front and said some excited words to the crowd, but those words went in one ear and out the other. The only thing I do remember him saying was there would be no ads or trailers. Everyone cheered. He left, the lights went down, the curtain pulled back, all the way to the side walls, 
and people lost their goddamn minds. I don't remember much from that first viewing. Only small snippets of detail. I could hardly take in the plot. My mind was racing so much. The battle droids, the Federation ships landing in the trees of Naboo, the pod race, the most amazing lightsaber fight we'd ever seen, the Naboo starfighter being shot as it left the hangar, and the camera staying with it during its inevitable spiral down to its fiery death. And the sound which stuck with me were the relentless hammering of Sebulba's pod. And for some reason, <coughs> sorry, the sound of Jar Jar walking on carpet in Padme's chambers on Coruscant. Why? Who knows? We left the cinema on a high. We had seen the very first Star Wars. Did it make sense? We didn't care. It was an, it was another Star Wars. Our minds traveled to unravel, or our minds tried to unravel, the scheming of Senator Palpatine as he played both sides. Even then, we knew this guy had a long game plan. We crashed at a friend's house in the early hours, and after a few hours sleep, I got up, called my boss, and said I wasn't coming in. And me and my mate went back to the 10 o'clock show to see it again. Then we saw it again that night. Three viewings of the same film in under 24 hours. We loved it. <coughs> a few days later, we ran into some friends who started complaining about this and that, and it kind of made me a bit anxious. These were big Star Wars fans, but they didn't like it? I couldn't understand it. Had I missed something? I hadn't thought about any of these flaws they were bringing up. I was just reliving my childhood. Sure, Jar Jar made poop jokes and was the clown, but I was cool with that. And for the first time, I felt worried about liking something. I couldn't explain it. Then the doubt began to grow within me. Sure, it wasn't on par with Empire, but it was fun, wasn't it? My girlfriend at the time, before she became a psycho demon hag, bought me a cool-looking pod racer t-shirt, but I never wore it, not once. I didn't want to be seen in public supporting this film, and it was churning me up. The slagging of the film started, and I sort of slipped into the shadows, backing away from talk about the movie. Then the home release came out. I rushed out after work and bought the widescreen VHS version and raced home to watch it. I watched it twice that night, and despite the flaws and the poop jokes and the yippee child acting... I still sat glued to the screen in amazement at the pod race, the stunning effects, and the joy of how this movie and the other Star Wars movies made me feel. But the best part was knowing Episode 2 wasn't far away, and they were going to get that one just right. I could feel it. So that that's from Kigo. Well written, as you might expect from a writer. Thank you, sir. And again, I, I do empath... I completely get the, the feeling of being like, charged up about something and then seeing backlash against that thing that you thought everybody would like and that you want to like but you'd rather just like it from the shadows rather than have to engage in negativity and seem like some sort of dope you know what i mean so that's from mr kigo uh, a couple more we got jeff mr at lazy wampa from the kanto cast he says, well, I guess in no surprise, but The Phantom Menace is my favorite of the prequels. And remember, I'm an old fart. I was 30 when The Phantom Menace came out, and I loved it when I first saw it because it took me back to that world of Star Wars and that feeling of being a 7 or 8-year-old kid watching A New Hope for the first time. I think that's why I like Jar Jar so much. Made me, made me feel my inner child, because let's face it, I never grew up. I'm just a big, immature child. 
I don't think my feeling of The Phantom Menace has changed. I've always liked it, and it's the prequel film I have watched the most. That from Jeff. And finally, Fandom's best friend, Neil, sent in his thoughts. He says, Hello all. The build-up to The Phantom Menace was one of the best I can remember. Reading Star Wars magazine and the -the behind-the-scenes photos. Then the jaw-dropping teaser trailer. That teaser was all over UK TV news and entertainment programs. And as May, appro- as May approached, some merchandise was released. The, s- the soundtrack spoiler. Uh, we in the UK didn't get the film till July 16th. But it was hard to avoid anything The Phantom Menace. It was everywhere. Even the Radio Times, the UK equivalent to TV Guide, had a Star Wars cover. Actually, two. I remember most UK newspapers had a The Phantom Menace supplement to keep. I saw the, movies th- the movie three times when it opened. The Force Awakens came close to excitement, but Episode 1 was the standard bearer for hype for Star Wars. May the Force be with you all. That from Neil Lowry. Thank you, Neil. Thanks, thanks everybody, for sending in yeah, those thoughts. thank you. I-, I didn't realize the UK didn't get the film until July 16th. That is painful. I think we waited, too, in Japan, to be honest. I think we got it late, too. That is nuts. I can't remember. I Two months oh. after? Like, that makes no sense to me. Wow. Wow. That is absolutely absurd. Like, again, something. talk about something that could never happen again. Anyway, thank you, everybody, for your thoughts on The Phantom Menace. Thanks for listening to us babble about it for the, for a, the better part of an hour. But I think it was worth it. We'll, we'll check back in with uh, The Phantom Menace maybe in another five years' time. All right, lastly on the show, we are going to do the Star Wars Commonwealth, Night of the Star Wars Commonwealth question of the month. And this month, it's from Stu. And Stu writes, hey, it's question of the month time. I finally got some inspiration from yesterday's announcement. So three new films and no more info than that. Being the mover and shaker that I am at Lucasfilm, I can announce that our worst nightmare is coming true. The OT is being rebooted. And you are in charge of casting. So recast away, but there are rules. Kathleen Kennedy wants a new, fresh cast. If you have been in Star Wars in any way, you are out. Acting, voice work of any kind. Plus, Millie Bobby Brown has prior commitments and is out. <laughs> so we so we need all the main cast. Including old Ben Kenobi, Tarkin, Lando, etc. So try to keep the actors and actresses age ages around the same as the originals. Okay, you kids have fun. We shall stew. Thank you for being a knight of the commonwealths. This this was difficult but fun. Like I'm really bad at these exercises. <laughs> I spent my entire afternoon prep doing this. Like <laughs> I was literally like I'm going to watch the Phantom Menace and then I'm going to prep these, then I'm going to do this. I literally just spent three hours deciding like who was looking up people like thinking really deeply i mean not three hours obviously but like a maybe uh, like a solid hour and a half oh my god intense i did not put that much time in my homework but i put some <laughs> i did put some significant thought all right so let's let's do this but let's do it in a way like personally i attacked it in a way where i looked for actors and actresses that can embody the character. Not so like I didn't look for a blonde-haired moppy 
head like, like not a Mark Hamill type. Yeah, I didn't look for just like the modern day lookalike. For I look for for an actor who I thought could be Luke Skywalker, regardless of how he looked. So let, let's just go with like I we I have multiple people per, but let just just pick yeah, the me one. Too. I have multiple people per because how I tackled it was, I mean, I was like, okay, well, I get the power to cast this movie how I want to. So I did. So I approached it in the same way that Kyle did, um, in that like I cast people that were characters or actors that I think would do a great job and could play the character instead of <clears throat> aesthetically looked like the character. And then I also did one where I wanted to make a diverse version. So I like made it a point to cast different types of ethnicities in the characters um, that I think would be great, but aren't exactly the same as the other one. So honestly, like obviously like the, the diverse characters work in general because I think they would play the character. The reason why I picked them was because they can play the character well. Um, but I can I can do it in like a diverse mix. Like I made like a diverse movie version where I have all of the different diverse characters, or I can just tell you who I think are great. So I could just list like two. All right, let's let's know. do that. Let's let's start with the twins. We'll start with we'll start with Luke. Who do you have for okay. Luke? I I don't like my Lukes. Luke's are so my Luke's I picked because I picked so I picked Leia and Han first and then I picked Luke's that would work with my Leia's because they looked like they could be twins or would work together personality wise I think they would work um together okay so um and then I have Luke's that I think could also be Han's I have one <laughs> actor who could be a re- I have two okay I have two actors who I think could be a good Luke or a good Han they're not like age-wise, it's like complicated, um, and uh, so I really, I really like, um, but I like them both better as Han, but I have them as Luke. Okay, whatever. Um, I really like uh, personally. I think Noah Schnapp from uh, who is was it Will Byers is great, but he's too young. So I think I would go with, uh, crap. I think I'm going to go with Gavin Leatherwood, uh, who plays Nick Scratch from Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Uh, I think he would be a really great Han as well because he's very kind of like mischievous and um, like fun and charismatic. Uh, and but he's 24. And uh, Luke and Leia are supposed to be 19 and Han is supposed to be 29. And Gavin Leatherwood, the actor, he plays a a high school student in Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So I think he could play a teen. Um, I don't really know how I feel about him playing Luke, but I would like him as Luke if I could pick my Leia as who I want to pick as my Leia. And I think they actually work together as twins um so i think i'm gonna pick him cool do you think tom holland could do it i think he could um i i had i have tom holland listed on my list um i don't have him as luke uh but i think he could do it um i don't know actually i do i think he could do it he he can he can pull 
I feel like he would give like a he's fun and like light enough, but also can do a really emotional like he has emotional heft because like in I feel like we can talk about Avengers before in game, right? Infinity War. Oh, absolutely. Infinity War, right? Okay. So when he did the ad lib line where he was, he goes, um, "Mr. Stark, I don't feel good." Mm-hmm. He's like, "I don't want to die." That was an ad lib. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. That that was an ad lib. That was the moment I cried in that movie. I didn't cry until oh, that yeah. moment. That so was, like that was hard. That was like a little boy. Hard. Like that was. Tough. That was a scared little boy. And that was ad lib. So like thinking about the fact that. Luke, like Mark Hamill, like the uh, Empire Strikes Back, literally hinged on hit Mark Hamill as an actor making his interactions with a puppet believable yeah. as an actor. So I think you need to have an actor who can do the drama but is also funny and fun and can joke around. So I think Tom would be great because I think he has both of the fun – mischievous playful aspect of the character but he can also deliver an emotional like uh he has an emotional weight too that he's got even though he, yeah, he has the range like he he is like really fun and funny but then like he's like i don't i, I don't want to die and then you're just sobbing so like it, he just he knows how to pull it out so i think he would be good and i think he can play a, a 19 year old so I think that would work. But he's not my pick. <laughs> I just I just threw yeah, that out no, there. Yeah, no, I think he could do it. Like, I mean, that's why I've listed him. He's not my pick, but I think he could do it yeah, for sure. My, my like, pick... I have a bunch of people on my list that I think could do it. Like, I also think um, Asa Butterfield could do it. Like, he played, yeah. uh, I think, I, I mean, I'm sure other people know him, but he was in Sex Education, and he was also in um, the Space Movie, and then he was in... Uh, Miss Peregrine and like, Ender's all these other Game movies. or something like that. Ender's Game, yeah, he was in Ender's Game. Like he's really good, and and he can play a teen still. Uh, he plays one in Sex Education, and he's really great. And he does drama and comedy, so I think he can do that too. He's playful and he can deliver emotional heft. I think that's what you need in this role. Like, um, you need to be able to deliver a little a believable drama when it comes to something that seems crazy because like think about Luke like he has to do the turn with Vader and make it believable he has to do all the stuff with Yoda and make it believable like it ha- but he also has to be fun and funny and not always so serious yeah. so um i think like it, it needs to be an actor who can who's proven to do a mix of both and does it well um and can do it in the same role well, my, my can... choice to that to that end, I I look I took uh, Ryan Potter. Oh, he's great. He's Beast Boy on the new Titan series. I love him. Yeah, he's great. I like him a lot. That would be a great choice. Yeah, that that's I I, I really li- I loved him as Beast Boy. And I, my mind went straight to him as yeah as my, I, as my I, Luke. Yeah, I so I had I have the actor down. I don't have him cast in anything yet, but I have the actor who plays um. Nightwing down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's great. He's age wise. He's kind of like right in the, in the pocket of it. I thought he could, t- I think he could play a Han, but yeah, I don't think he's, sure. I, I, I think maybe he needs to be a little bit more. Well, he's, he could do Han in the same way Alden Ehrenreich did Han. 
Yeah. But I, I don't he, I don't know if that would work as, as, in an ensemble. For me. I think he's a little too pretty yeah, for me maybe. to be haunted. Maybe. But I think he could be I, I think he could do it. I think he could pull it off. So um, who's your Leia yeah. then? So my Leia who goes my Leia who would go with Gavin would be Adeline Rudolph, who is also from the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Uh, but she plays uh, Agatha, who is the Asian weird sister who looks like an Asian Wednesday Adams. But when she's not in that makeup, she is just stunning. And like uh, she's 24, so she's a little older than Carrie Fisher, but she looks like the right age. And she just like. I think she could pull it off like in the in the show. She's she's kind of a little bit more of an unknown. Um, and on that show, she has a very distinct look uh, in that she's wearing like black makeup and she has like, you know, a middle part and her hair is like Wednesday Adams. So like when I saw her on Instagram for the first time and I followed her, she's just so different. And like I just I like I'm really like I just think she's a really cool person and. Um, I think she can deliver the emotional range because on Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, she had to have her like neck cut and then she had to come back to life. It was just insane. Like the things that she's done. So um, I think she would be great. And I think um, she and Gavin Leatherwood are both 24 and they both look like they could be twins. Um, And I think she's really interesting to look at and she's cool. So I like her. Um, My other like... Uh, who else I liked for her for well she goes with my Gavin but if I were to have Asa Butterfield as my Luke then I would probably pick um, <clears throat> uh, I would either pick J- uh, Bridget Lundy Payne who is uh, Casey from the show Atypical on Netflix or I would pick Jessica Barden Who's been a lot of stuff um, most recently in the end of the world on Netflix. Sorry, I swear. But uh, that show is amazing. They're both. I think Jessica Barden is 26, but she looks like she's 18. And uh, Bridget Lundy Payne is 25, but she looks like she's also 18. They both play high school students. Um, but I loved Bridget because she she's her character in Atypical. Uh, she's uh, an older sister of a, a brother two years younger than her who has uh, autism and she's like uh, questioning her identity and isn't sure about whether she's just it's like that she has to deal with a lot of very heavy deep emotional things and carry a lot of responsibility in that show as an actor and I think um, I think she can pull off the more uh, fun snarky quippy sides of leia that work and entangle with han but also deliver the uh political and stoic and serious Mm -hmm. side of her that i think is important um that i think some people might overlook and i think that's the same with uh adeline for me is that i think she's also kind of like has this regal to her a little bit almost in like her posture and the way she um, walks and presents herself and speaks and so I think those two really lend themselves to they have this like extra 
sort of thing that you would need to be like a princess or like be considered royalty. I think they carry themselves in the right way that it would be believable that they would be, but they would be kind of rebellious and roguish um, in that way. So I like those two girls a lot. And then Jessica Barden, I like just because she looks a lot like Asa Butterfield and she's also really um, strong and can play kind of a nuanced character that, uh, is very like headstrong and um, knows how to uh, knows who they are and like can talk like be like stand up for themselves, I guess, in a way, which I think like Leia does a lot. Um, so that's who I picked. Nice. Yeah. I, str- I, I had a tough time with my Leia. Um, I'll just cut uh, my going, cutting to the chase. I went with Madison Pettis who. Ooh, I like her. I'm surprised. Like, I don't know if anybody knows who she is. I, I know her because she voiced a lot of animated characters on Disney Junior. So my kids have seen her do a ton of characters. Yeah. But she's now and now she's she's 20 years old now and she's starting to get a- actual acting gigs. That's cool. You know, she was in SVU. Uh, yeah. She, she's been in a few things uh, and I, I, I think she could pull it off. Yeah, she's really cute. And I, I, I don't, you know, and I think you could put Ryan Potter and her together and mm-hmm. make it work as, as brother sister. Yeah. Oh, I also think Sophie Turner would be good, but I think she's too, um, like she's too known. I think she could pull it off, but I think she's just too much of like a like people know her too much as as Sansa. Um, but age wise, I think she could pull it off. Yeah, yeah, maybe. And she's also Dark Phoenix. I think she's just too recognizable I, to me. Yeah, well, I, th- I think she's also... Uh, she hasn't been involved in Star Wars, though. No, God, no. Uh, but I, th- she could do the like the the political like queen side of Leia. She's really funny, though, like in her personal life. Like I follow her on Instagram and like if you see like her and Joe Jonas and like with how they got married by an Elvis impersonator and like she does have that in her. I just don't think we've seen it in a role on screen. Mm, that's interesting. I think she's, she can pull it off. Like she is really funny. And also like just the funny things of like every time she's after an episode of um, Game of Thrones, she'll like s- sip like her wine in a bathrobe and she's like delivers a one-liner of like what she thought of the episode and then she sips her wine and she goes and that's the tea and then ends her video (laughs) like she's so funny like she's hilarious in person and she has like the funniest personality and like she did this interview recently about like how when the what what they were doing like on when they weren't filming or whatever when they were watching the Game of Thrones show, like on their off time. And she was like, yeah, Mason and I would just like eat a lot of edibles and like sit in a tub and like watch the show and like get drunk and like the bathtub. And like, she was like, yeah. And then I said, and then later at a different interview, she said it again. She was like, yeah, the first time I said that I got in a lot of trouble. So I'm going to say it again. And it was just, she's just, that's who she is. So I think like she could be really fun in that role because I don't think we've seen her do that yet but i think it could be really fun because it would be unexpected um but i think that uh she might be too I, in that sense it might be interesting because she's never done that type of role before so it could be cool to like for it, for casting purposes because it would be the first time to see her in a role that was not just fully dramatic 
Yeah, no, um, I know what you mean. I still think she might be too recognizable, but I think she could pull it off because of just like how I know her from social media and like that sounds about right. Like, like, uh, yeah. All right, I'm gonna give you my Han. Yeah. I, I went. I went back to the Titan series. Oh, nice. And I'm gonna give you Alan Richson. Ooh. He played Hawk from Hawk and yes. Dove. I think he could kill it. He's so freaking cute. He's, um, he's a, I love him. And um, what's what's her name? Minka Kelly, who plays Dove. Yeah. Uh, Minka Kelly is my favorite. I love her from Friday Night Lights. And I, I really think he could he could do a bang up job as Han. He would do great. He would be a great one. Who's your Han? Um, I like a couple people. Uh, um, I really like Jake Manley, who is uh, the lead in the new sh- Netflix show called The Order. But he's also in the new movie A Dog's Journey, which is the sequel to A Dog's Purpose, which I haven't seen. But I know he's in it. And he was also um, a recurring actor on the show I Zombie. But he looks like a young River Phoenix. And he's like really dreamy. But he also does like really he's funny um and charming but also like dramatic um and very angsty in like that han type version of angst so i think he would be that type of i don't know thing but i also like um okay i they're all diverse but i also like um this guy called uh avian i don't know how to say his name avian Gogia or Jogia, but he's uh, the lead in the show. He was the lead in the show Now Apocalypse, and he was in uh, the movie Paper Year. He was on the show. He was the lead in the show called Ghost Wars, and he was also uh, King Tut in the movie Tut. He's around 27. Um, But he's really cool. He's like a mixed race Persian, I think, but very like um interesting mysterious and like charismatic um and i don't know just cool and then the other guy that i really like is charles melton who is the lead in the new movie a son is also a star and he also plays uh i think the character moose on riverdale um but he's also really like i don't know has that kind of like glint in the eye type thing if you've seen if you've been watching tv lately you've probably seen him um in the trailer for a son is also a star which just came out on thursday uh he's like really cool and cute and really tall and like asian and has really good hair and i don't know he's just like really like i mean because on riverdale he's kind of cocky but now he's dating veronica and he's like really dreamy and in real life he's dating the actress who plays veronica and um, I don't know. He's like really cool. And I think he would be like a fun. He's not super well known yet. Like, but I mean, after a son is also a star, like that's his first like lead in a romantic film. So like that, I mean, he'll be huge now. Um, but I think he would be like kind of perfect for it. So um, nice. those are my three I think would be really good. All right. Next up is old Ben Kenobi. Who do you have for that? Okay. So. I had a few, and then I decided I'm going to go a completely different route. Um, so I decided I wanted to go Keanu Reeves. Whoa. Nice. Um, I think he would be a great Ben Kenobi. Like, I had a lot of names before, and they're all pretty well-known. But then as soon as I thought Keanu, 
I thought, oh my God, it has to be Keanu Reeves. Um, he's 55, and old Ben Kenobi at, in this movie is around 57. Or it's, Isn't it crazy when you compare Alec no, Guinness to Keanu Reeves and say they're yeah. roughly the same age when they shot I'm, a new... It's crazy. Especially because Keanu is like Asian too. So like he's mixed race, so obviously he looks younger. But like you can age him up with makeup and, you know, facial hair and things like that. But I mean, if you see him now in John Wick 3 with the facial hair, I think he could actually like kind of pull it off. It'd be really amazing, especially if you see him in the in the garb and being kind of Asian, I think it would be really interesting to see him in the clothes I and I think that. he could pull it off. Like I think he could really pull it off. Um and I think he would be really great and very wise. Um and then uh uh I think he's he's my favorite. Like I also wrote like Kyle Chandler from like coach from uh Friday Night Lights mm-hmm. uh or Ken Watanabe. Uh coach is fifty four and Ken Watanabe is fifty nine. Um, and then like, yeah, I had other people, but like Nikolai Coster Waldo, who plays Jamie, um, but he's only 49. Um, I don't know. I also think he could be a good Tarkin if you, but he's way too young. You'd have to like age him up digitally for that. But I just think like, I think as an actor, he could play him. Um, but I don't know. I think it would be interesting if he played like a wise like positive mentor um i don't know i i really think he's a great actor um i don't know if that's the right role for him i think he would be cool in star wars um but i don't know i just think keanu is too perfect like everyone else doesn't seem as good when i think about keanu that's a good pick i know i, I just too perfect like i can't I, everything else doesn't like when i think of keanu as ben kenobi old ben kenobi like nothing compares to it like it, it just doesn't i'm like oh okay no i still think that's better i don't know just for me anyway i'm, I'm excited to see who you think because maybe yours will be like oh no actually i do agree like that's well, this really is, good. my pick for old kenobi is someone who i hope gets a starring role in either benioff and weiss's movies or ryan johnson's movies at some point my guy is idris elba oh my god so good he he would do an amazing oh job God. as old kenobi i mean when he him and um in thor like he can rock that like look with the long hair yeah, that, that's, red, that was like, where i i, yeah. I thought heimdall i'm like it. he yeah heimdall could be so ben good. kenobi yeah, I'm I'm on it. I, yeah, I I'm I'm on board with that. I think I think that's the only other character like actor that I would think would yeah, I I'm, I agree. That would be a great cast. Him, Idris Elba or Keanu, I think would be perfect. Those are two good castings. Two great castings. All right, this one I'm actually proud of my Tarkin. Tarkin I, I Tar- love my Tarkin pick. Oh my god, I want to hear your Tarkin pick. I and I it's only one pick. I can't move off it. But okay. I think I think this might get me in trouble. I think Helen Mirren would destroy the world <gasps> as Tarkin. Oh my god, that would be amazing. Wouldn't she? I, that would be amazing. Helen Mirren as just this spiteful. Oh my god, I old, love it. Oh god, I think Helen Mirren could. And it, imagine her in an imperial uniform. Oh my god, she would murder that role. Absolutely <laughs> murder that. That role. would be amazing. I could not yeah. come off it. That's so See, she's that's the, the only thing. person I have. That she's the first sense. one that came to mind. Yeah, the only thing like I I could so I have a list, but I don't really I, none of them work for me as Tarkin because I feel like Tarkin is just so hard because like 
so yeah, I like that. I mean, if you're going that route, I would go Kate Blanchett. Um, only because I think she's really talented and Actually, she's well. I'll spo- here's a spoiler alert. I I threw in Amon Mothma, and that would be oh, Kate Blanchett. She's your Kate. Okay, yeah, but I, I yeah. So if yeah, I think Kate Blanchett could do it. Um, I mean, she played Bob Dylan really well, and I loved her Bob. So. I, I, Kate Blanchett can do no wrong in my book. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think Helen Mirren's fantastic. I literally was like, who, what actor is 64 or near 64? Because all the actors are like, oh, maybe him. No, too young. Doesn't even really work for me. Um, so I went Michael Rooker, who's 64. He plays Yondu. And Mr. Svenning from Mallrats. Yes. <laughs> That's how I know Michael Rooker. Um, yeah. So I picked Michael Rooker um, because I, I don't know. I just felt like he can do – I think he can pull off the vicious part of it mm-hmm. um, well. And he can be – he's so – and I think like in order to do drama well, you need to understand like um, – I don't what is it like the like the beats of like the pacing and beats of a scene and I think in comedy comedians know that really well because they have to timing is really important in comedy so I think um when you're playing a role like Tarkin you need to have impeccable timing of delivery and I think that um someone who can do drama and deliver heavier scenes, but has a knowledge and background in comedy can do this role well because they can understand the beats they need to hit and like when to hold and when to deliver something. And I don't know, like the, the, the non speech parts of it. I think he could do well. Yeah. I like, Um, I like Michael Rooker. Yeah, and he's he can pull off like being like he looks like he could be a bad guy. So like, he I mean, it depends. Is. At best, he's he at best yeah. he's usually sort of the the antihero gray guy. Yeah, so I think I think he would he could make an interesting Tarkin, and he is sixty four. So wow, um, that was pretty much like I was like, well, I think I'm gonna go with that because I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's what I went with. Let's let's try Lando. Okay. Who do you, who do you have for Lando? Or do you want me to take Lando first? I have two. Um, it's up to you. All right, I'll, I'll I'll throw my Landos out there. Okay. I pulled straight from Black Panther with this movie. Or with we this might role. have a similar one. So th- there's a, I think there's at least two people in Black Panther that could do it, and obviously it's it's Michael B. Nope. Jordan or Chadwick Boseman. Nope. But I think also dig a little deeper and you can do Sterling K. Brown as Lando. Ooh, I love Sterling K. Brown. And then you could, if, if you wanted to reach and maybe put a different twist to Lando, even Winston Duke. Ooh, could, I like that. Could pick. do Lando. Mm, I like that. There's four, like that's a, that cast is killer. Yeah. That cast is killer. There's such a versatile cast there. So yeah. pick any of those four. I guess I'll go I'll just I'll I'll make I'll keep it simple. I'm gonna go with Chadwick Boseman for Lando. Cool. I yeah. Can, I, I, can, I, I the smile. He's got the same kind yeah, of Lando ish smile. hmm I see that. Who do you have? I see you. 
Okay, so obviously I have Michael B. Jordan. Um, I I love I love the idea of Michael B. Jordan because I I've seen like he's played a lot of different. I've seen him in a lot of different things, um, and he does have like the smoothness um, that I think I, I don't know. It's just like. I, I really like Chadwick Boseman too, but I don't know what it is about Michael B. Jordan. But I don't know. Maybe it's like the social media aspect that I've followed him and like understand like certain things that he's like, like there was this one thing about like Twitter or Instagram and he like hung out with this girl randomly and like they just like had a fun time like randomly. Just like, I don't know. It's just like weird stories. Sounds really cool and like an interesting person, but like also very Lando. Um, I like Chadwick Boseman too. It's just like, I have more knowledge of the actor or like context knowledge or like background knowledge. Like I've seen him in more stuff. Um, so that's why I picked him. And I also think this is like kind of, um, totally different. Uh, but I thought Steve Yuen, who played Glenn mm, on yeah, the, the walking, walking dead could be a really good Lando. Oh, um, I would pay to see that. <laughs> he would be great. I I thought he and he's he's 35. Lando is 31 in the movie. Michael B. Jordan is 32. Um, so I don't know. I thought I like I just really thought about like who is an actor I would love to see play Lando, and I was like Steve Yuen. I think he would be great. Um, he played, and it's not just from, um, it's, and the reason why I think this is because he is in this new, I think I mentioned it earlier, but there's a new anthology show called Weird City on YouTube, uh, premium by, uh, Jordan Peele, who, I mean, I'm sure everyone knows who he is, but did, uh, you know, um, us and um oh my god why am i blanking on the movie that is like so good and uh the horror movie uh uh get out obviously (laughs) oh my god i can't believe i blanked on get out um but there's a an episode um that steve yuen is in and it's an episode it's it's the concept is there's a all of these stories or each episode is different but they're all set in the same place um called uh, there's above the line and below the line and above the line is like super rich opulent uh like la type people and below the line are just normal americans and then there's like a border that you have to go in between um and it's just really funny but uh that episode that he's in that is the episode where i was like oh my god he's hilarious like so funny and like just i that 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 different side of him as an actor and knowing him from uh the walking dead i just think like that was the moment where i was like oh yeah he's he's a great lando like he could do it he would get all of the comedy beats and the fun stuff and he would know how to play it he could also um, do han yeah he could do han he would he could, be a great he would do you know what i'm you know i'm glad we didn't do like chris pratt chris evans ryan reynolds as han yeah like that that we could have easily thrown that out there, even though they maybe all three of those guys could be aged out of that. Old. Ryan Reynolds is definitely aged out of that. Yeah, they would have to go. They would be going for like you know uh, Obi Wan or like that. They, that would they would have to age up and play that or play a I, different. I think character. Evans could pull off Han Solo if you wanted, but that's uh, no. a, it's a reach. I think he's it's too, a reach. He's too old. 
He's what, 36 or 37 now? Yeah. And Han's supposed to be 29. And if you think about Leia being 19. It gets creepy. For sevens can't play Han. Yeah. Especially if you're doing a young, up-and-coming unknown as Leia Mm -hmm. who looks and plays 19 or 20. You can't cast Chris Evans because it's just way too creepy. It's, it's, It's way too creepy. Yep. Uh, all right, so we got Lando. Uh, did you throw any other randoms in? Um, yeah, I have. A, I think I have a couple. I mean, honestly, I just have a bunch of actors that I was like ready to throw out there and be like, "Ooh, who do you think of this person should play?" Um, that I just want to to be in in the the Star Wars universe because I think they're really good actors. Um, like for example, I wrote like I like Timothy Chalamet, but I don't know who who he would play. Maybe Han. I don't know. I feel like he could age. I think he's the right age, but he could. Know. Yeah, he could fit somewhere in, into this new reboot. Yeah, and then I really like Lily Collins. Um, I, she's too old to play Leia, but um, if they redid the prequel movies, she could play Padme. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love Lily Collins, and I would die to have her in Star Wars. But I don't know who she would play other than Padme. Um, I mean, I just, I, oh, uh, yeah, I just have actors that I would put in slots. You have like actual actors picked out for different roles. Like I just have a bunch of actors that I was like, well, I just, I I just have a couple more. Like I, I, Emperor Palpatine, Mm -hmm. Gary Oldman or Ed Harris. Ed Harris. Harris. Oh, okay. Yeah. I I mean, he doesn't even need the makeup at this point. Yeah, that's true. Um, I really like. Um, I think if you put makeup on, I would really like Andrew Lincoln as Palpatine or Norman Reedus. I think they could do like the weird acting. I think whoa. they're creepy. Um, they're not old enough, but if they did like as CGI and makeup, I think they could pull it off. That's a, interesting. That's a deep pull. Um, get this one: C three PO. I'm recasting, but inside the suit, I am putting Kate McKinnon. Oh my god, I love it! <laughs> I think I that would work. Love all it. Kinds. That's hilarious. That would work I all kinds. That. that is the best. I love that. Um, I would pick Mark Maron for Sweet Three PO. That'd be that'd be nuts. I just, I like, I, I want, I just like Mark. I don't think, I, I put him, first I put him down as old Ben Kenobi, but I just, I don't think that he, I think that's a little, the tone is too different. Um, but I think C-3PO, I think maybe the humor would, would translate a little bit more. Yeah, yeah he, well, he would be a different C-3PO, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I think it would be an interesting kind of C-3PO. I, I think I would prefer a Mark Marin C-3PO. I think a lot um, of people would. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I just think like that humor would lend itself to a, if they were to reboot the OT now, the type of humor that would work the most in a C-3PO type role, I think would need to change. And I think the Mark Marin humor would work better in this current generation if they yeah, were to reboot yeah, it. For sure. I think, I think right. back then the C-3PO humor works. And that time and that context in society at that time and the generation at that time and the type of humor. But I think humor has gotten a lot darker and a lot more sarcastic and like a lot. Well, humor, I don't know. humor evolves and gets evolves, tends to get yeah. more sophisticated. Exactly. And I think now 
for the type of humor and comic relief that C-3PO as a character, like the reason why he was existing and the type of comic relief he was providing, I think in the context of if the movie were to be rebooted and remade in this day and age, the type of humor they would need to facilitate that same feeling would have to be evolved. And I think it would be a more that type of humor. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, my last one. Well, I, I threw out Kate Blanchett as Mon Mothma because I just, I like that a lot. That would work. Like she's glad it's Galadriel. Mm-hmm. But I'd also put Jessica Chastain as Mon Mothma, Ooh, which I think I love that. I think that could work wonders as well. Oh my God, I love that idea. And uh, that's that's it. That's my that's my OT cast. That's awesome. I think it's a good group. That will yeah, that will never that. happen. Yeah. <laughs> Who would you pick as um, Java? Oh my God. <laughs> what about like Nick Offerman? As the, like no. the voice? Yeah. Oh God, Nick Offerman. That know. that would be pretty hilarious. I feel like it needs to be more like I want him to be gangster. Like, like I'm thinking Godfather. Who could? Who's a Godfather type? Oh, <gasps> Walter White. Brian Cranston. Yeah, inside the suit. No, maybe that's not the right tone. Hmm. I don't know. It's hard. Who, who, listeners, who would you pick as Jabba the Hutt? Tweet <laughs> hit us. us. Hit us. Tweet us. Tweet us. All right. Let we us are, know. Uh, we, we, are, <laughs> we are done here, Michelle. It's over for this week. Yes. Stu, great question, man. Hope you enjoyed our castings and everybody else's so as well. Good. But yeah, that's, that'll fun. do it for this week. So everybody who wrote in with their thoughts about The Phantom Menace, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a blast to feature you guys on the show. If you want to be part of our podcast in the future, just uh, send me an email, tumblingsaber at gmail.com, and we'll work you into the show notes. And uh, if you like this podcast, there's a bunch of ways you can help us to grow. One, of course, is to join us on Patreon as a powerful friend. And the second is to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice and leave us a quick review. And we'll read that on an upcoming episode as well. And uh, third, of course, share this episode with your friends on social media. And uh, yeah, that's because people like recommendations from people they trust so do that if you enjoyed this and uh, we thank you we want to give a shout out to mr rob wade from emotionally14.com for endorsing our episode of the podcast as part of the emotionally 14 endorsed program so check that out at emotionally emotionally14.com subscribe to rob's podcast the crazy crazy train podcast and of course you can hear him at talk star wars so go check that out and be sure to check out our friends at the Star Wars Commonwealth Network. Bunch of great podcasts. Everybody's doing some fantastic work. And uh, yeah, it's a good time to get involved with the different shows. And uh, ramp as we ramp up slowly here towards the summer and eventually into the rise of Skywalker. So check it out on iTunes, Star Wars Commonwealth as a podcast provider. Or of course, our home base on the web is StarWarsCommonwealth.com. And Michelle, with all that out of the way... Where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can find me at Traveling Book Nerds uh, on Instagram, where I post all of my uh, nerdy things and bookish things and fandom stuff. And I will be talking about my Star Wars and MeUndies collaboration underwear and onesies over there. 
Um, and you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at tediously underscore brief and on Facebook at Michelle Grandine. Excellent. And you can find me at Tumbling Saber on Twitter, Instagram, and Instagram. I Michelle, I posted. I posted a bunch of times. It's amazing. So check me out on Instagram if you so choose, choose to. And uh, that's it. Come join our Facebook group. We're having a lot of fun in there. So hang out with us in the Facebook group. And uh, that's it, everybody. Hope you guys enjoy this episode as we freaked out over Phantom Menace's 20th birthday. Our baby's all grown up. So if you enjoyed it, let your friends know. Give us a thumbs up. Show, give us a review. All that great stuff. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon in an upcoming episode. Episode 177 is coming later next, next week. And uh, we'll talk to you then. So have a great week, everybody. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Static draws me closer to your place Willing me through my dreams Fall away Signs Blindly To the lines on your face Beating Strong Drifting And I relive this dream Over And over And over Again Please don't leave my heart broken Bleeding Don't believe it breathing if only to see you next to me sleeping soundly smiling not really this dream over and over Now you're running
Why you running? Why you running? 